What if you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious? Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to be joined today by Jeffrey Shaw, author of The Employed Life and host of the podcast of the same name. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah. Well, before we get into the first question, let me properly introduce you to Jeffrey. For the first part of his career, Jeffrey Shaw became one of the most preeminent portrait photographers in the United States. His portraits appeared on The Oprah Show, CBS News, In People, and O Magazine, and hang at Harvard University and the Norman Vincent Peale Center. After 35 years of exceptional service, Jeffrey decided to share his knowledge of business, branding, and marketing to support self-employed and small business owners, as well as as progressive-minded companies. He's an on-demand, in-demand, I should say, perhaps you are on-demand too, Jeffrey, um, keynote speaker and the author of two books, Lingo and the Self-Employed Life. His podcast is among the top 15% of all podcasts and his TEDx Lincoln Square talk on the validation paradox, finding your best through others was later moved to TED.com. So it's definitely worth watching. So check it out and I'll definitely capture that in the show notes. So as we get started here, Jeffrey, I'd love to start with hearing what pulled you yourself to the self-employed life for really, it seems, the entirety of your career, starting as a portrait photographer, or perhaps even as you write about in the book earlier at an earlier age. And, you know, I, I recently did a series on leaving corporate and my partner and I on those episodes shared, it's not necessarily the easier path. So what drew you to be more entrepreneurial and to have the courage to kind of step out on your own and kind of be in charge of your own destiny? Well, to your point, I actually have always been self-employed. I've I've never had a traditional job. I've never received a paycheck from anybody. And uh, honestly, the reason for that was really insecurity. I mean, I was a really shy teenager and I just figured I was unemployable. I I didn't think who would want to hire this nerdy, shy kid living in Timbuktu. I mean, I lived in the middle of nowhere. Um, higher education wasn't really something anybody spoke about in my community. My, I had two older brothers that just kind of went right into working and in construction or whatever jobs they could get. It wasn't really talked about even in high school. So to me, it was just like this idea of self kicked in really young. I was just like, this thing called life, it's up to me and I'm going to have to figure it out. Um, what seemed to me to make sense was to to create your own business, whatever that might be. Uh, I didn't have a clear idea uh, at 14. I mean, my idea at 14, as I share in the book, was to sell eggs door to door, which is actually quite profitable. But then by 20, I went off to photography school. And even when I went to off to photography school, it was... I was aware I had a skill and a talent. I just didn't know what to do with it yet. I still didn't quite grasp, like, what does one do with the skill of being a good photographer? Particularly at that point, I was kind of doing fine art photography, the things you do in high school. And so I thought I would do architectural photography because I honestly didn't like people much and I wasn't very comfortable around people. So I figured I'll photograph buildings. Uh, But then I started photographing people on the furniture of the buildings. And that's when it really everything changed. I'm like, I love photographing people. And I, so from there, I, that gave me the clarity that I could build a successful photography business. But, um, to me, my entire, as I say in my book, and I think if you really unpack why a lot of people become self-employed, it's because they want to find in themselves a bigger, bolder version of themselves. And as scary as it was for me as a shy kid to knock on doors, to sell eggs, The fact of the matter was, I realized pretty quickly on that the rewards of how proud I was of myself was greater than the fear. So I was scared and I was nervous, but I think that's what keeps us going is that there's a benefit that's greater than the fear. And the benefit is usually something other than money because money doesn't 
drag drive us along for the long haul. What really drives us is some per- level of personal satisfaction that's so big that we're gaining that that is greater than the fear. Mm, I love that. Well, and that was one of the things that really resonated with me in the book is how you talk about and frame self-employment and what draws people to it. And this idea that you write, like, I believe the biggest reason we set out into the world as self-employed business owners is our desire to grow. And you go on to say, we are first drawn, whether we realize it or not, to our own personal development. And I'd, I'd never really heard anybody say it that way and that clearly. And it really resonated and rang true to me. So, you know, why is that? Do you think that it like, it is that personal development side that kind of calls us forward? Yeah, it's, you know, and you spoke a moment ago about people leaving corporate. So in one way or another, I think what we're seeing now in the great resignation, as they call it, and I actually did, an, I wrote an article for Entrepreneur Magazine. I'm a contributing writer. And I wrote an article as titled something along the lines of us. I, I think everybody's got it wrong. I think everybody's got the great resignation wrong because it's really not about what people are quitting or what they're walking away from. It's what they're walking towards and what people, and I'm so... I, I mean, it sounds odd to say I'm proud of of people I don't know, but I am. I'm like, I'm genuinely proud of the people that think to themselves, given the choice, given the fact that I can see that there's an option, I'm going to leave this paying job, steady paying job, because what I want for myself is a different lifestyle. And, you know, as someone who's always been self-employed, I am in great admiration of the people that have that level of bravery, because I mean, as brave as it may seem to others to be self-employed your whole life, I don't know if I'd have the bravery to leave something safe and predictable. And yet I'd like to think I would, because I believe so much that people, that lifestyle should come first. I have always said in business that every business decision I've ever made was first a lifestyle lifestyle decision. And then I just changed my business to fit my lifestyle choice. So, you know, I think it's, uh, I said, I think it's rather incredible. And for me, you know, I know to some people, self-employment seems riskier, if you will. But again, maybe it's because just what I'm so used to. I don't think I could stand the fear of like the rug being pulled out underneath from underneath you if you have a traditional job. Like one day you walk in, but I think the craving underneath it all is a craving to be more, to mm. find more in ourselves. To we get to a point in our lives, which is why in this great resignation, a lot of these folks are of a certain age, right? Between I don't know forty to sixty or something. We're not kids, and what what propels that is some kind of a deep craving to create bigger impact to have left something important behind in your life uh, and i think that's i think it is driven by personal development mm, i love that and i was i was kind of curious about this jeffrey if there are because of this sense that it's personal development and even some of it you just described is like are there clues that people can be looking for to kind of know if they're ready to step out? Like, are they sensing anything? Are they, like you said, sensing something in themselves that they're like longing to have a bigger impact? Or are there other things that you've kind of seen? You've worked with a lot of people who've ta- made this leap. So what have you kind of seen as like trends or or similarities across people who step out on their own that could yeah. maybe inform others that like, yeah, I'm ready to do this? Yeah, most definitely. Um, and there is. And, and I see it both in the one-to-one clients that I coach, and also the majority of the students in my Self-Employed Business Institute, the majority of them are people, especially now, that have left corporate, usually within the last couple of years, not so much as recent as since the pandemic, but even before that. Um, And so, yeah, there are definitely commonalities. I would say it starts with a longing. I love that you use the word, like there's something more that you want. There's something, a difference in your lifestyle. Uh, something, a more impact, there's something you want. The key though, is what I refer to as the inkling. Like once you've gotten that bug, there's almost no letting it go. And when people reach out to me for their initial conversation and considering coaching, like they're, they haven't even committed to leaving, but they're reaching out maybe a year or six months in it beforehand. And they're saying, you know, I'm thinking that I might want to do this. I always forewarn them. I said, guess what? Now that you've got the inkling, you will not be able to unsee it, right? And that I, that is the constant pattern. Like, so if you find yourself continuously thinking about what if and possibly, at some point, I'm going to say, don't even fight it 
because mm-hmm. it's sort of like a bad relationship. Like once you've seen what you don't want, you can't not see it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. So I think there's a point where pretty early on, I just tell people surrender to the inkling and then get smart about it. You know, mm. Get smart about it, which is why I appreciate when people reach out to me for coaching or join the Business Institute beforehand, because best case scenario, you plan it out for 12 months because there are very specific things you can do over a year. Uh, worst, not going to say worst case scenario, but six months is doable. You just have to accelerate the pace. But ideally, anywhere between six to 12 months before you actually resign, it gives you sufficient time to uh, to stack the deck in your favor for your success. I really appreciate that you brought that up, Jeffrey, because I do think that sometimes people don't realize that there's a runway that they can start to set up before they make that leap. And so I think that's really wise to kind of guide people to that and to start to, like you said, pay attention to that inkling and then start to actually get into action to set set themselves up for success. Yeah. I I've wanted- never met, I've never worked with anybody who started down that path and reversed. Mm. And I've also never met anybody that has been self-employed for any period of time and will express the challenges. I've never met anybody said that I would that they'd have it any other way either. Mm. So I said, once you're going down that path, it's very unlikely you're going to reverse and change your mind. And what the nice thing is to know that if you make that leap, I'd have never met anybody who actually regrets it. Yeah, that's really interesting because I was also going to ask you around like the great resignation, if you were seeing trends around like, is it people who kind of lost their job during the pandemic? Is it people who were more so like reevaluating, as you said, and is it, you know, younger people or is like, is it a age range or is it an older group? And you've kind of hinted at the fact that it's kind of like, mm, it tends to be people who actually have a longing, they have an inkling, and it's it's tending to be like people that are maybe later in our in their career. So is, is that kind of it's- correct? It is, and it's a mix. Mm. So um, there's certainly, there's actually a chapter in my book, The Self-Employed Life, about what I refer to as midlife self-employed, because Mm -hmm. I definitely see a lot of that. People with 40s, 50s, 60s, um, even heading towards 70. If you could imagine, like, that's when you're choosing to become self-employed, and it is not uncommon. In fact, I saw a report a while back that said the average age of the successful self-employed business is 47. So it's not the 20-year-old hustler that we used to think of, right? So they tend to be, and I think that's wonderful. In fact, uh, again, in the Self-Employed Business Institute, those are our ideal students. They tend to be, uh, in fact, when we look at the profile, they often have been in business in the corporate position for 10 years or more, and then left that position in the past three to five years to become self-employed. And they're three to five years into the self-employment business. And this is when they're looking for the greatest level of assistance and support and education. But the fact of the matter is they have 10 years or more of corporate experience behind them. So they come to the table with a lot. And that's that's who I can create exponential growth with because we're not starting from nothing. Right? They're already bringing a lot. But on the other hand, I just, just completed uh, working with a client who I've been working with for a little over a year. She's in her early 30s, living a very good position. And when I was helping, coaching her to, to actually resign and looking at the options, I wanted to really make sure she, she resigned in a way that, because we knew her company would try to talk her out of it because she had an amazing position and she was treasured. We knew that they'd throw promotions, and but she was really committed to leaving. So we I wanted to make sure I coached her in a way that it's non-negotiable as to why she's leaving and which is the lifestyle. You can't argue somebody's choice to be happy. And what she had pointed out to me, which I had not considered as a woman in her early thirties, she has said she's currently single. She knows with that she'll be in a committed relationship in the next few years. She just knows, she feels in her bones, she's going to meet somebody that she's going to step into a fully committed relationship, likely have children down the road. If she doesn't do it now, when? Right. So that was, I really appreciated hearing a younger woman's perspective on the things that are on her mind. Mm. And I give so much credit to people like that, that are planning ahead. And it all, Kathy, comes down to one thing, which is lifestyle choice. Mm. People are choosing their life over their, their job. And, and I think that you could say another way of saying it would be people are 
looking for jobs and careers that can fit into their life instead of the life they've been squeezing into their career all this time. That's right. Right. I know I, I, this year when I was writing some things, I started to write life plus work instead of like work-life balance. I've never loved the term work-life balance. And I also was like, why is work always first? Right. And it's really, we, we live a life and our work fits into that life. And so, and I'm, and I'm also curious in what you're seeing in the people that you work with, Jeffrey, is that, you know, even though we might be choosing lifestyle, it doesn't, does it mean that people are less ambitious? No. Um, gosh, I'm so glad you're saying this because, so for example, one of my coaching clients, <clears throat> she was a student in the Self-Employed Business Institute, then went right into working one-to-one. And in working with her in the Business Institute, part of what we do is really help somebody get their core message. What I refer to as a two-step process of really getting getting to their core message and then translating that into a brand message that you shout out to the world. But it has to start with your core message, which is a combination of your why, your purpose. You know, really it's the personal uh, work that we need to do on the inside to really like, what's your core purpose? And what it came down for to for her and translated into her brand message is what she called work wellness. And what I loved about work wellness is the idea that Again, sort of like you, a lot of people don't like work-life balance because it's it's a myth. There is no balance there, uh, as as people interpret it, balance to meaning equal. But her thing about work wellness, to me, it was sort of guilt-free and make you feel good for those of us that love our work, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the idea of wellness for so long has been presented as in order for you to have wellness, you have to work less. In order for you to have to wellness, you take, you have to take baths on Sunday. In order for you to have wellness, you have to take from this work life and give it to your personal. And there's a lot of us that get that we find our purpose in our work. We find our meaning for being on this planet in our work. So work wellness is appreciating and respecting your love for your work and making sure it's a culture and an environment that supports your wellness and that you have wellness at home. But it's not, I think she, to me, she's one of the leaders of the idea that we don't have to turn our back on our passion and our work. And that's it's one of the keystones of, of the self-employed life. I, I gave a talk just a couple of weeks ago called Designing Your Self-Employed Life for a group of uh, healthcare professionals. Now you can imagine anybody in healthcare, mental health care, they are so tapped out, like there just aren't enough healthcare, mental healthcare professionals to, to fill the need. So when I spoke to the organizer and asked her what she wanted, she said, to be honest with you, we don't need business growth. What we need is to figure out how to manage the life and business we now have because we're so overwhelmingly busy. So I created a talk for them called Designing Your Self-Employed Life. And one of the things I pointed out, and I, I, I want to point out to your listeners, is that In so many ways, we're apologizing for our ambition and we need to stop, right? I am done, and I've been done for a long time. I'm not going to to apologize for being self-employed. I'm not going to apologize for thinking about my business when I'm at home. And I'm not going to apologize for thinking about my, my children when I'm at work. I'm done apologizing. The reality is I'm self-employed. The reality is I'm running a business and try to build an empire and to have a personal life. And I'm just, and I think we all just need to be done with apologizing because we should be proud of our ambition. We should be proud of the fact that, you know, with boundaries, but we're not going to not think about our, our businesses when we're at home. It's just not, it's not possible. I really love all of this, Jeffrey. And and I appreciate it. This is something I was going to ask you about because you talk about in the book, how, you know, life and work is integrated. It's just a reality for self-employed people. And I think, frankly, it's just a reality for everyone in today's world. And yet we fight it, right? And again, it's it's almost like they have to be separate. And yet when I read that, I was kind of curious if people heard that from you, uh, if they might be like, ooh, well, then maybe I don't want a self-employed life if the reality is those things get merged kind of naturally, right? And with people concerned about burnout, et cetera. And yet you say for yourself, all my business decisions have been based through a lens of what is the lifestyle I want to create for myself. And and when you're self-employed, you have the all the power to craft that, right? It's not necessarily easy, but what, what do you think about that? I, well, yeah. I think what, what burns us out is what we're fighting against. Mm. 
right? I think where we where we are in our stride is when we work in flow. So for example, one of the ways in which we fight ourselves is that we're trying to act like we're not thinking about our business when we're sitting across the table from a dinner, a friend at dinner, right? It's more exhausting to try to re you get that great idea in the shower. Um, and it's more exhausting to try to remember the idea in your mind. So you don't forget it. You're actually burning more energy, trying to remember it and fight against it. So if it's going to happen anyway, if it's a reality of being self-employed, then I encourage you have tools to just work with it. So for example, I, I say jokingly, but not so jokingly, my entire book was almost written in a kayak because I see kayak on, I live on Miami on the ocean and I see kayak on the weekends and we'll go out for a four hour stint. And inevitably, as soon as you get on the water, you know, that's when the best ideas are going to come. The water's lapping, the waves, the whole atmosphere encourages creativity. So instead of fighting it, and instead of apologizing to my partner, I just carry my phone in a waterproof case around my neck and just crank out all the ideas and let it go. So I I don't fear burnout because I'm not fighting against myself. That's if I ever, which is rare for me that I fear burnout. And the reason it's rare for me is because I don't fight myself. I respect, I've always respected being self-employed. I see it as something to be really proud of and I don't apologize for it. And I just kind of train, <laughs> there is a training component. Like I kind of train the people around me to deal with my reality because otherwise we spent all our life adapting for other people's reality. And I think we need to kind of demand that people adapt to us ambitious people. Yeah, I really love that. And it kind of brings me back to like in the book, even if we even just step back and people are like, well, what is self-employment? Like it, it's self-explanatory in some respects. And yet I, what I love about what you do in the book is you actually define this, right? Like, what do we mean by self-employment and and why is that important? Because I've also at times gotten tripped up by this, like, oh, I'm a solopreneur. And I'm like, I don't really like that term. And then, you know, oh, I'm a small business owner. I'm like, is that true? And you, you kind of talk about in the book, it's <laughs> yeah. like, that's like any business with under 500 people. So you're like, is that me? I don't know if that's me. And so I appreciate that you actually even start there, that you're like, look, let's claim this term of self-employment and be proud of it. What was important to you about really getting that clear for people? Yeah, and it's the first chapter. I wanted to hit it straight on because uh, there's a lot, of, you know, entrepreneur. I mean, hey, entrepreneur has been the coolest term, right? Uh, but I, I'm just not so sure anymore. Entrepreneur sounds like, I mean, are you in between jobs or do you harbor, which I see, I kind of associate with the term entrepreneur more often, like a little bit more of a hustle, hustle mentality than I I'm comfortable with. So when I hear entrepreneur, I think of like a, a somebody in tech and they're hustling. So don't love it. Solopreneur is my least favorite term because I don't want anybody to feel like they're solo in the world, right? I don't want anybody to feel like they're going at it alone. And you're not going to get as far as you're capable of going if you're doing it alone. So I, I really dislike solopreneur and yet it's commonly used. Small business is problematic, particularly in the case of government assistance, as we saw with the PPP loans. If defined as small business, if that aid, which by the way, the PPP loans were the first time in US history that the word self-employed were in a piece of US legislation. First time in history, because usually we're like swept under small business. The problem is, is that we're a small business, like you said, is up to 500 employees and up to millions of dollars in sales. It's not representative of the 85% of small businesses that have fewer than 20 employees and the huge number of businesses that have a, that are a company of one. So I was really, I want us to claim the term self-employed. I think when you tell somebody you're self-employed, they immediately imagine, they know your risk, they know you're brave. I feel like they they immediately know your attributes, who you are as a person. You're also identifying your business model because anybody with any wherewithal knows that there's a certain taxation that comes to self-employed. There's, you know, so you're immediately telling people who you are, what you're made of, what moxie you have, and how you run your business. What was also important to me for the title of the book is that the word life was in there, which is why, because it was one of the proposed titles was how to be successfully self-employed. 
And I insisted with my publisher that life had to be in the title because to me, I wanted to represent the self-employed life to discourage the separation that so often people do and to encourage integration between our businesses and our lives and to be proud of both. Mm. I I love hearing this, Jeffrey, also on so many levels because of A, your passion. I can see that coming through and just how committed you are to this. And I'm and I wonder if that's what kind of made you even switch from kind of doing your photography and stepping into this next business that you have around all of this. And um it just seems to me that um there's so much around claiming this term in terms of what you're saying, because I, I think our our government systems or how things are defined in terms of, I think people have put blinders on that this is a reality, that there are so many self-employed people out there. If you think about something like, not to get overly political, but something like Obamacare and making sure that healthcare is available for self-employed people, <laughs> it's pretty critical given how the shift in the economy has been going. And so it's like, I, I sometimes scratch my head because I'm like, I, I'm, I think everybody wants you know, as to have a healthy economy and for people to be able to be employed. And the reality is the trends, even of how corporations have been working with individuals and, ter- you know, moving more people into contract work and kind of almost driving more people into self-employment, you would think that our systems um, need to sh- yeah. re- be reshaped to support that, well, right? Here's my dream. And I don't think it's unrealistic. And I will certainly be an advocate and a participant because I have been known to be politically involved in other things mm. in the past. Um, I believe it's possible that what is now the SBA, the Small Business Administration in the U.S., I believe there will be a department of the self-employed in the near future. I really mm. do. I think they, as I often said, like as soon as the the PPP loans, I was able to get an advanced copy of the the loan, the uh, CARES Act. And that's when I saw, because I really wanted to see how they were identifying who was going to get the aid. Um, and was grateful that it included self-employed people. I also knew the government was going to screw it up, and they did because they kept referring to self-employed business owners as employees, but we don't think of ourselves as employees. So that's why so many people missed the opportunity because they misinterpreted the word employee as the government was saying it. it you are an employee of your self-employed business. Therefore, you were entitled to three and a half months of your income through a PPP See, I loan. didn't know this, Jeffrey. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> many people missed out on the opportunity because the government was calling you an employee, but they're, you know, because they were used in the wrong lingo. But that to me was a cracked open door that I just jammed my foot in and I'm not letting them close. So to the best of my ability, and if I see any, and I do think there's some momentum in that direction of actually having a department of self-employed or called something like that, which can then mean group health insurance. It can then mean uh, protection in the in ta- other financial times. It's not a matter of if anymore. It's a matter of when the next tragedy comes along that financial aid is needed. It's not, there's going to be another pandemic. It's, it's whatever it looks like. There's going to be something similar to it in the future. Right. Well, I appreciate that you're championing for all of us, like participating in that and bringing a voice to it and perhaps encouraging the rest of us to be a part of that dialogue as well. So, yeah, well, I I, I wanted to come back to talking about ambitions a little bit, because as people step out into self-employment and kind of see, so they've had that inkling, they're kind of, you know, ready to get started and are you know, starting to frame for themselves what they want to make happen. One of the things I really liked about um, one of the things that you frame is around visioning and goal setting and where it's intentional, but it seems like it's also loose, right? It's not so like, hey, be in control of everything. And so you talk about, for example, with goal setting, like getting really clear on your from and to, and then you also talk about um, goal setting as being directional, but not definite. So I was curious if you can say a little bit more about like why you think that approach kind of works best when being self-employed. So for one, understand that I have, and I don't, I don't know how much I've been clear on this in other podcasts. Um, but yet just now, I've kind of bounced off very opposite ends of the wall. And I think sometimes we do that in order to moderate, like what, what creates your best formula. And my formula is probably best represented by the, the slogan on my podcast, which is business with a soul. People that come to me, people that become students in the Business Institute, what they're drawn to, because they tell me constantly, is what you had just described. It's like you have this way of having 
very specific business strategies, but done in a soulful, heartful way, right? So it's not this hardcore, you're either all business or you're... So I used to joke when I was single and living in New York City that at any given moment, I could spend an afternoon with a very serious group of business people. And then the next morning I'd be at a yoga class and I'd be like, in the business meeting, they were like hardcore business with no soul. That's not appealing to me. And then in the yoga class, it was like beautiful souls, but a lot of people without direction. And I used to say, it was, you know, in the dating scene, I'm like, why can't I find that person that holds both? Like, why is it one or the other? Right. And so what I have found after, and I did kind of go down the rabbit hole, if you will, for a number of years when I said I bounced off both walls, I spent years studying Buddhism and yoga and really went down the spiritual path to where I could learn almost where it's no longer benefiting you. And I think part of what people don't realize about, about Eastern studies, be it yoga or Buddhism, is that they don't, they're not as applicable in the Western world as well. It's Hey, I'd be I'd be a great monk if I lived in a monastery in Tibet, right? The reality is you're taking those Eastern philosophies and trying to get them to work in the Western world. The only way you do that is by understanding some kind of integration between business and soul. So what I have found continuously works is to, to find a balance between the two. And that's what I mean by goals that are directional but not definite. Because to be successful requires a certain amount of looseness. You know, there's a phrase that says a clenched fist can't receive. Hey, think about it. If your fist is closed, you can't receive into your palm. So the ideal state of being in business really is one where you are committed to the direction you're going in. You structure your intentions in business in a format, what I refer to as you did the from to format, right? So there's a very different structure, but you're not gripping everything so tight because you can't, because if you grip everything too tight, you're inevitably going to be disappointed. You're not seeing the other opportunities. So it's a very delicate balance. And and it just so happens, for example, I have a a Buddha in, in my area, my little area where I do meditation that is a hand gesture that's referred to as effort and surrender. One Mm -hmm. hand upward representing like flame and effort and the other hand horizontal palm open, which represents surrender. Exactly. That to me, if you can truly accomplish that in your life, that's the mindset of success because it takes effort and it takes surrender. And by the way, just a side note, the color of my book is aquamarine and that's intentional. The color aquamarine, which is a combination of blue and green, Actually, if you were to look at the color psychology of aquamarine, which is the color of the Caribbean ocean, it actually represents the kind of tumultuous of the waves and the serenity that we feel when we're in the ocean. So the color of the book was was chosen to represent the what I would describe as the ideal state of mind of effort and surrender. Mm, I love that. And you know that hand gesture, the reason people can't see me, but I put up my hands is that's actually a gesture that there's a Buddha in the park right near where I live that has that hand gesture. And whenever I do my hands like that, I immediately feel different in my body. And so I've actually paid attention to that. And I looked it up finally this year and was like, what do these hand gestures mean? And it so resonated with me, Jeffrey, and you're right. It's And so I actually use it quite a bit to kind of, you know, um, kind of see, to, to communicate to myself, like, where do I need to surrender? What do, what do I need to receive? So I so appreciate that you brought that forward. One of my, the, um, in a, in a, one of our training sessions at the business Institute, uh, we actually were, we're talking about TikTok and we were talking about the importance of having a defined message in TikTok. And so as a group setting and, you know, it kind of opened up and we were giving each other feedback and the, without a doubt, everyone's feedback towards how I operate. Everybody just said, I can make anything actionable. And I do think like, you know, I have a process for everything. I try to make everything actionable because when something's actionable, people can do something with it. So I do really believe in making things actionable so that people can apply themselves. But then you do so, as I said, kind of with an open palm, you do, you know, it's, um, I'm a, I talk about trust which is unusual in a, in a business education format. But I talk about trust because it's actually fundamental to my entire book. 
the core concept behind the self-employed life is recognizing that the circumstances around us in life are, are unpredictable. You know, every, every self-employed person I've ever asked why you became self-employed, they all have, everyone has the same reason. I wanted to control my future. I wanted to control my destiny, which to which I love to say, and how's that going? Right. And everybody laughs because you realize (laughs) I don't have as much control. The reality is life is not controllable. The only thing we can control are the, is the environment that we set up for the results we want. Right. So it's up to you to set up the marketing efforts. Well, all we can do is set up the circumstances for the results we want. And that's the letting go part. That's the trust part. All you can do is have the best marketing strategies that matter for your business and for your size business. All you can do is have, you know, with uh, determine like the best brand messaging on your website to attract your ideal customers. After that, you just have to trust. You put in all that work, you have to trust that you'll get the results that you want. Yeah, I really love this. It's helpful to hear you bring it to life talk out loud, Jeffrey, too, because I, I read the book and I'm pulling things forward and yet like the... The, the threads that you're connecting for me even more in this conversation for me at least because what I one of the things I really loved is how you you're really intentional with your language and so for example in the book you talk about like you don't talk about building a business talk about creating a business right and you talk about how that reframe allows there to be room to allow you know and you you talked about how this idea about setting up the circumstances for what you want to have happen. And so I, it's, I love that you're bringing it up because I was wondering about this, this sense of so many of us, including myself, want to control and kind of want to know exactly where we're going. Um, and yet a lot of what I'm hearing you say is, is like you say, exactly, set up the the circumstances such that see what then takes shape. Um, and it's almost giving per- people permission for that, which I think for many people who might've come from the corporate world, that's really hard. Yeah. It's like, even like, for example, the way I uh, coach my clients and students to setting their financial goals, mm. I encourage them to set it up in three tiers. So you have your sustainable goal, what you have to make. <clears throat> the next level up is what would make you like your happy goal. That would make you really happy. And then there's the wow goal, right? So this way, by having three tiers, you should put, apply all your ambition towards your wow goal. Chances are you're going to hit your happy goal. And guess what? Be happy about it, right? But by having three levels, the problem is, is that when goal, the, the, where people get tangled up with goals is that goals inherently have expe- expectation built in. Mm. The problem with expectation is for any of us that have kids, for example, like as soon as you expect them to behave a certain way, they're not going to, right? There's a resistance to expectation and expectation by definition is a predetermined outcome. So when it comes to financial goals, if you set a harsh goal and that becomes an expectation, that's what you expect to make. If you don't, you're going to criticize yourself. And you also have to question whether if expectation is a predetermined outcome, did you set the bar too low? Are you capable of more? Which is why I do it in three tiers, sustainable goal, happy goal, wow goal. So almost everything I try to do and all the strategies I teach have an element of commitment to direction, but some breathing room so that you survive the ups and downs of it, the disappointment or whatever else might come, of, come mm, from it. Mm, makes sense. Makes sense. I'm wondering also if you can talk about growth jet lag, because I think oftentimes many of us can also be very impatient. We think we should be much further down the road, but how do you, what's, what's growth jet lag and how do you think about that? Yeah, I had to come up with a term for it because of something I just continuously see in, in clients um, is that we grow faster than the world around us catches up. Okay, so an example of it would be the, a break of trust. If you break someone's trust, say a, a partner or what have you, if you break their trust, you can do the work to in yourself to know that you're not going to create distrust again. But whoever's trust you broke, it's going to take them a little while to catch up with you, mm. right? So if you look at it on a bigger scale, 
as we are growing, because I'm so such a proponent that personal growth drives our self-employed success, as we're always growing, you have to allow time for the universe to catch up to you. Sometimes I, I like to visually explain it almost like this algorithm of the universe that's spinning around. And it just might take a while or maybe it takes a couple spins of the algorithm for the universe to catch up with your new level. So one of the, I did a podcast recently, which really resonated for people more than I expected. And it was about overwhelm because I gave a different perspective of overwhelm and, and, and also shared my own vulnerability that overwhelm is my nemesis. Um, it doesn't paralyze me, but with the scope of my life these days, it, it, it causes me concern. I mean, at any given morning I can look up and like my brain can want to go in the draft. Like there's no way, there's no way, there's no way this is all going to get done. Right. So I know the feeling of overwhelm, but then I had this awareness once that what used to overwhelm me two years ago is now a drop in the bucket. I don't even think about what used to overwhelm me. So what does that tell us? That tells us that two years from now, what's overwhelming me now is going to be a drop in the bucket, which means overwhelm, a state of overwhelm is likely an indicator that you're growing. Mm. It's likely to be an indicator that you're ready for your next level. Okay. So there's that growth jet lag again, because you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gap between your growth and before you get recognized for that growth. And in the simplest way you can look at it is your website. You can completely, which I work with all the time, I'm helping clients bring their website up to speed, meaning it's representing who they are today. It's probably two to three years behind who they are. We bring it up to speed today. That doesn't mean the algorithm of Google or people are immediately going to see the new you on this website. It's going to take six months for the algorithm of Google to actually catch up with the changes you made in your website. It's going to take your audience, you know, maybe a few months to visit your website before they see the changes as well. That's what I mean by growth jet lag is to just hang on a little bit because there's going to be a period of time between your growth and before you get recognized for your growth. Right. I love that. And I think it's a great reminder for people. And I also really love how you reframed overwhelm, Jeffrey, because what I took away from that is like, if you're experiencing that, I mean, it's a great reframe to help calm you down a bit, which is like, you know, it means you're growing and that's a good thing. So, and it means, and you talk, I think you use the term stretch. Stretch is something that I, I use that term around ambition as well. And maybe this is, I'll start to kind of wrap us up here, but I, I was curious because you, you wrote in the book, I can see what I've accomplished and who I've become either. I know there's more in me. It's why I stretch myself. And so it, to me, it's kind of like that personal development side again, coming forward. But I was kind of curious, like, what's your current ambition and what's your next stretch? Hmm. Um, so it's, it is the Self-Employed Business Institute. Uh, this is the way I'll give you a little context as to how it even started. So after the book was out, after the Self-Employed Life book was out, um, while I was thrilled and satisfied with the book and getting incredible feedback on it, I also felt like it's a, at the end of the day, it's a book. Like, what can people do with it? Can they apply? How is this going to change their business and their life? So I was saying to a friend of mine one day, uh, just talking about our businesses, and I shared that over 15 years of coaching individuals, one of the things I realized, everybody at coach is really good at what they do. They're super talented and highly trained at their skill set and what they do. But almost everyone I've ever coached is in an industry where nobody teaches them how to make money at what they do. And I said to my friend, I said, somebody has to change that. I said, because there are specific ways, there are commonalities in being a self-employed business, and there are commonalities in just being in a business that's not traditional and trying to figure out how to make money at it. And I said to her, somebody has to solve that. And she looked at me, she goes, why not you? I was like, well, there, you just, there's the gauntlet. You just put the gauntlet down. So <laughs> from that, I created the Self-Employed Business Institute, which is a five-month program. We do two cohorts a year. And um, that's that in itself has become my big stretch because now beyond starting it, now I'm imagining it's my legacy. I'm imagining creating something that is a legitimate university-style education that exists for self-employed business owners because it doesn't exist. I have been brought in as a guest at entrepreneurial centers, which I think are well-intended in the right direction, but amazed at how they still miss the mark. 
it's an entrepreneurial center, but like even to teach at an entrepreneurial center, you have to have a PhD, you have to have a master's degree. I'm like, you're really missing the point. Like what these entrepreneurs need is in the trenches education and you're still requiring people have master's degree to teach at them. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, I, you know, in the, in the series I did recently, Jeffrey, like I, I'll admit I have an MBA and I have an undergraduate business degree too. And I was transparent in saying being self-employed is different. I mean, my training certainly helps me, but I am learning every day. Right. And I learn from folks like yourself and other people whose communities I've joined as well, or people I listen to, what have you. I mean, so I'm, a student of this. And, and we all have to kind of continually be students because the world is constantly changing. You know, how I did marketing and was trained to do marketing 20, 25 years ago is not how you do marketing yeah. today. And not to mention the size of the business. And I refer to the business a lot, like you need to market like right-sized for your business. Great, like what you said, one of my one of my coaching clients was a NASA scientist who left NASA to become self-employed. And in a, it went to her first phone call with me in an absolute moment of frustration, she said, I'm a freaking NASA scientist. I'm a smart woman. Why can't I figure this out? <laughs> and I'm like, I got your back. Right. Just relax. But can you imagine? Like, you know you're smart. You're a NASA scientist. You know you're smart. And you're completely perplexed at how challenging it is to, to actually create and start your own business and run it. And I get it. It just is. I mean, like you said, all that training, the degrees are all great for a base of information. But there are specifics and nuances to being self-employed that need to be addressed. I think you're right about that. And what I love too is, and you write about this in the book, and I hear this from a lot of others, and there's a lot of science that backs this too, in terms of both finding your way as well as um, just being happy in life. Like it's great that you're creating a community, right? Where you can bring people together who can, you know, they they of course have you, Jeffrey, who's kind of showing them the way and showing them what's possible, but it's also helpful to be amongst other people, especially when you are stepping out and when you are stepping into being courageous, It's it's helpful to be surrounded by a community that is doing like-minded things. So yeah, we, it's great it's that you're offering one of the, that. Yeah, it's one of the things that we're most proud of is what we call alumni benefits because it's really the one-time investment is a lifetime of availability because we allow any, all the trainings are live. Um, so it's always fresh and current, but anybody who's completed the program can sit in on any future training call in what we call a silent seat, mic off, camera off, so that we're paying most attention to the current cohort. But imagine that, like my dream, the Institute is just a year old, but my dream is five years from now, 10 years from now, students from five and 10 years ago are showing up on today's training call because they can, and they're getting the latest information. We have an online community and everyone that's ever gone through the program stays in that. And that's exactly why we really focus on what we call alumni benefits, because it's one thing to have gotten the base of education in five months, which is, by the way, more than you can implement in five months. So you need the additional support. Um, but it's it's having that, that community of people to go back to, that university. We even have a campus store with clothing and logo. And, and that's intentional because I want it to feel like, even though it's all online, we want it to feel like there's a place people can go back to because the community is so important when you're self-employed. Mm, I love it. Well, we're so lucky, Jeffrey, that you're championing this cause, frankly, and really providing all the resources for people that want to step into self-employment. So um, would you have a final piece of advice or a main takeaway for people that want to step into self-employment. If you had just a parting word for people that are considering this, what might yeah. you share? You've shared a lot already, but yeah. you yeah. know, it's it's anytime I've asked something like that, I give the same answer because I think it's it's just it's the most honest one. Um, and yet it's the hardest one to explain. And it's it's clarity. That sounds so nebulous, right? But the best thing you can do for yourself, and it it often does require working with somebody because my favorite phrase on this is you can't read the label from inside the jar. Like it's really hard to know yourself. It's really hard to find it in yourself. And that's why you need the reflection of working with somebody, but you, you will help yourself tremendously. If you likely work with somebody who helps you find your core message, who helps you find your core brand message that you're going to put out in the world, because the path to your success is clarity. The, the example I like to give of that visually is when you, if you are showering in a glass shower stall, if you realize it steams up on the inside. Okay. So that's the metaphor for that's where the steam, that's where the fog lies within us. In order for you to be seen, it's up to you to wipe away the steam. So we have to do the work 
to make it clear, wipe away the fog that's between us and the audience we want to reach so that we can see out clearly and we can be seen clearly. That is the path to success as quickly as possible. Where people lose a lot of time is they, they're spinning and, and they're spinning their wheels for years trying to figure out that clarity. And that you just don't have that time to lose, right. particularly for people that are leaving corporate, particularly those that are of a certain age. What's a typical characteristic is we want to get to where we want to get to quicker. We don't, we're not in our twenties. We don't have time to just wither away, right? So that would be my number one advice is to do the work, to get really clear on who you serve, clear on what's meaningful to you and clear on how you need to communicate that to the world. Mm, Love it. Well, Jeffrey, if people want to keep in touch or learn more about the self-employed life and the Institute, where can they find you? So my main website is jeffreyshaw.com and books are there and um, everything is there as well as a link to the Business Institute. But if you want to go directly to the Business Institute, it is selfemployedbusinessinstitute.com. And on both websites, there's a a really nice assessment, which is called the Self-Employed Assessment. So I recommend you can also get that at selfemployedassessment.com. But I highly recommend that. Six simple questions and it's a custom algorithm that actually tells you where you're strong and where you're weak in the ecosystem of your business. It's a great starting point to identify where you need to begin to do your own work. Ah, Love it. Thank you for sharing that, Jeffrey. And I will, of course, capture all of that in the show notes. Jeffrey, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me today. Likewise, I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.